3: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deakins. On the show today, Clarkson's Farm is back, but should it be? Ed Balls and George Osborne team up for their new show, but has the expert podcast bubble burst? Also on the programme, How Has the Art of PR Changed? I sit down with two season pros to discuss how techniques have evolved in recent years. All that, plus in the media quiz, we take a look at the classifieds. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Google are on the ropes as the US Justice Department accuses the tech giant of illegally leveraging its power to maintain a monopoly over search as consumers moved over to mobile phones. Uh, The trial is set to last 10 weeks and feature a number of top execs and internal presentations. So get the popcorn in and strap in. Uh, Meanwhile, the Drew Barrymore show is set to resume production, uh, but with considerable backlash with writers union, the WGA, accusing the Hollywood star of crossing the picket line. And sad news, the Freeman's catalog is due to close the mail order mag is to focus on its digital product after 118 years in print form now, joining me from the London podcast studios are two mail order models, starting with one making his media podcast debut. It's Private Eye's Adam McQueen. Hi, Adam. Hello. Nice to be here. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. Um, you write The Street of Shame. The large
0: l- chunks of it, yes. Yes, it's got
3: a long running section about the press in, in Private Eye. Um, have you been tracking the runners and riders of The Telegraph and whether it's, who's going to require it?
0: Very much so, indeed. Yes. Yeah, no, our lead story last week was when the news had just come out about Nadim Zahawi being pulled in, of all people, to front a bit by the Barclays to try and take back control of the Telegraph mm. uh, apparently with money from the United Arab Emirates which just seems like the, I mean it, it's an ambitious bit isn't it yes. they're basically going to go to a, a load of investors in the UAE and say so these are the guys who screwed up the business, their businesses so badly that the bank actually took this off their hands get them back in and who better to run the place and they're going to try and get it,
3: get that bought from the bank that already knows them
0: for for less money than they actually owe that But oh no it, it is extraordinary no no it's fascinating it's a fantastic story it's kept us going all summer and, and, and the, the official auction hasn't even started yet that doesn't kick off till next month so it's uh, just going to run and run and
3: there's a lot of discussion that it might not all go in one group so something like the spectator uh, Murdoch's potentially always Rupert's been very keen to, to get that one into his fold yeah Murdoch's, that might happen.
1: Murdoch's
0: keen on that one yeah um uh DMGT, the Daily Mail publishers, are very keen to uh, get both Telegraph titles, but that could potentially get them into trouble with uh, media plurality, because of course mm. they've got not only both mail titles, which are amongst the only papers in the country which still sell an awful lot mm. of copies every day, but they've got the Metro as well, which mm. obviously adds on an enormous circulation, so it would give them uh, an enormous share of the market, which is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, the old Monopolies and Mergers Commission, as they were, used to used to get quite concerned yeah. about in the and, days of old newspaper takeovers. And
3: also may be funded by the Middle East as well.
0: Yes, which also potentially could run them into trouble, because of course it was only a few years since the government ordered uh, an inquiry into not the Lebedevs and themselves taking mm. over the standard and the independent, but when they pulled in extra um, extra shareholders from Saudi Arabia. So, you know, that whole question of, of, of money coming in from overseas and control of of, of British press assets could um, could get them into a world of trouble the yeah, regulatory stuff If there. you
3: are a boring bank and you just see all of that on the horizon, maybe going for a safer offer, if there is one, uh, is probably... The better decision, isn't it?
0: That, well, yeah, well, it, it, it probably would be. And also, I mean, you've got to ask in this day and age, are newspapers, uh, even in their digital form, mm-hmm. necessarily the sort of thing you'd want to be throwing a lot of money into?
3: Uh, and next to us uh, is the journalist and critic Scott Bryan. Hello, Scott. Hi, are you right? right? Uh, I'm good. I notice you've become a member of BAFTA.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I have. Um, I think, like, the 13-year-old TV geek <laughs> me, losing his mind that, like, one day I could watch so much TV that I would be allowed in but uh, what a treat well I, I'm I'm not trying to do you down at all but okay. when, when,
3: when, I, when I was looking at it there is obviously people have to apply to become yes. a member and I'm not saying it's a lottery because obviously they're picking the people but it's not easy to just get a membership Is it? it's not like just doing a direct debit and getting your card in the post I mean in the end they do ask for money
2: <laughs> 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 that's great welcome in please give us some money so um, yeah no I mean I think it's uh, it's certainly interesting because I think BAFTA is also trying to widen their membership they're trying to to make sure it's much more reflective because of course the awards have been in for for headlines probably not in the way that BAFTA would be potentially liking over the course of the last few years so I think it's trying to make sure that the industry that is the kind of the flagship is actually representing the industry that it actually is uh is running
3: Uh, and also handy if you need a wee in central london (laughs) yes that's the other thing i was realizing so there's nothing really around piccadilly (laughs) so it just kind of works really handy handy. yeah handy uh we'll go on to our first story uh, about clarkson's farm and scott um uh, you spoke to some of the Amazon bosses, I think, at the TV festival, because it looks like after months of speculation, uh, Jeremy Clarkson shows uh, Clarkson's farm uh, is going to be renewed by Amazon Prime. Um, and maybe before we find out from you, Scott, what happened, um, Adam, can can we remember what the controversy was? about Clarkson's so whether it was going to get renewed the
0: controversy was nothing about the programme was it it was nothing about his television work at all in fact it was mm. the it was the column in the uh, Sun which he wrote just before Christmas last year in which he said he wanted to see hated Meghan Markle on a cellular level he hated her in the same way that he hated uh, Nicola Sturgeon which would be one thing but also Rose West the mass mm. murderer mm. Uh, and that he specifically wanted to see her um, uh, paraded through the streets naked and pelted with excrement um, For Christmas. And there was a few other things in there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That was his Christmas present. But it was, it was obviously. I mean, it was, it was concluded eventually by the press watchdog, Ipso, that there was a sexual element to the, uh, Oof, to, to, to the taunting of her. Mm. Uh, they, they, they put aside um, accusations that they, 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 they didn't find there was a racial element to it, but there was a sexual one in there because he talked about her using her bedroom wiles to draw in um, uh, 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 Prince Harry. It really was. It was like he was trying to kind of tick off every kind of offensive thing on the book. And it was the most extraordinary thing because he, he almost immediately backed down, mm. as did the son. Mm. Um, and said, "This is this is this is completely unacceptable." But he he remains in the sun. He remains in the Sunday Times. He's kind of, kind of contrite there. He's kind of got turned into woke Jeremy, which was not something you ever expected to happen. And he's writing very sympathetic pieces about trans rights and all sorts of things for the Murdoch Press now, which is is, is a strange. And he was talking
3: about being a podcast convert this week uh, as well, because uh,
0: indeed it. he had listened to a podcast that I appear on, Page Ninety Four, <laughs> the Private Eye podcast. I, I noted he only mentioned the he, he he talked about the episode that we talked about him in it. So whether he's actually listened to any of the others yet, we don't know.
2: Uh, So, Scott, you were trying to push the Amazon bosses, weren't you, on this one? Yeah, because earlier in the year, Variety had reported that Amazon was going to cut the long-standing ties that they've had with Jeremy Clarkson, Mm. not just with Clarkson's Farm, but also with the Grand Tour, which, of course, has now been kind of changed into just irregular specials. Mm. So they hadn't really had an update about what they were going to do. Of course, season three had already gone into production, had been filmed and seemed to have run its course. So when I kind of pressed them on stage at the Edinburgh TV Festival... Um, I got back that they were kind of shocked and disappointed about his actions and there was kind of a real sort of mea culpa about that but then they were bizarrely kind of at the the same time quite defensive over the actual programme itself and they created this sort of situation where they were trying to distance Clarkson's farm from Clarkson (laughs) (laughs) like highlighting that it's a bigger show than just Jeremy Clarkson It highlights the agricultural issues facing the country. There's all of these other characters within it that are a delight to viewers. And I had to sort of say to them, look, it's called Clarkson's Farm. <laughs> you, can't, you can't separate for two. So they didn't really give an indication about it, its future there. They were kind of vague. So there's news from Deadline Today by Jake Cantor to say that actually it looks as if they might be having a mm-hmm. renewal... Um, after all, doesn't really come as much of a surprise. Mm. I think it's also the fact that, you know, Amazon can be very cryptic about how successful a lot of their shows are, considering that they spend an awful lot of money on them. Mm. Um, But it's clear to see that when it comes to their UK slate, uh, Clarkson's Farm is is right up up there at the, the top. So they're probably thinking okay, he is a big liability and he said some downright awful things but maybe we can't really lose him because we haven't really got as many hits to replace him.
3: But is this also that it's way cheaper than the Grand Tour which they probably signed at a kajillion dollars? Oh, I mean, uh, the, And, and yeah. this is like a nice, this was probably the, the extra thing he had to do as part of the deal and suddenly it's turned into a mega hit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look across that's like really, I mean, sort of James May has kind of done his own kind of cooking sort of variation and that feels like a very BBC Two show. There's also been a travel program <laughs> Program mm-hmm. that they've also done that has nothing to do with cars with James May attached so I think a lot of it is is very much their style of try a spin-off see where, whether it works if it hits a certain metric that is not really public then they will commission some more I think they're now also with, with Amazon branching, I think, a bit further, a bit more competitively into making big franchises of things. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a big franchise, you can sell products related to it. It ties up very well within the, um, the Amazon ecosystem. Mm. So I think these days, like, that was the main thing I got throughout the entire of the Edinburgh TV Festival. It's focusing much more on about creating a brand yes. than just creating a TV show.
0: It does seem a bit rich for Amazon to be sort of saying in 2023 that they've only just realised that Clarkson might be a bit of a liability and a losing. <laughs> I mean you've only got him because he was sat from the BBC for punching a producer I mean this yeah. is this is what you get with it and you were very keen to throw a lot of money at him in the, uh, back back then
3: well Jeremy Clarkson likes podcasts so there's another one that's been added uh, to the uh, podcast list um, and this is political currency the new show featuring George Osborne and Ed balls uh, it landed on podcast apps yesterday that's Thursday uh, this is from the makers of the news agents led by the former BBC news producer Dino Sophos um Scott it's an indie production but it's not tied to global it 's kind of a personphoneica thing, yeah, um, a lot of coverage for it,
2: a lot of coverage of it, I think, just because of the fact that it comes from the same people who made the news agents, mm-hmm. which of course has been a real big hit. Um, for Global, I think also Dino Sophos being behind it. He was a creator of Newscast, which is still kind of one of the biggest podcast names the BBC has. Uh, there's a Dua Lipa podcast too yes. that managed to have, I think, really intelligent discussions about pop culture that mm. I think people did not really expect. So I think just the names behind it too. I mean, the fact that you've got a chancellor and a former um, a shadow chancellor, um, George Osborne and Ed Balls tied to it too. Um, I think gives the reason to believe within the media circle that so this would be a big hit I guess the challenges I think at the moment is not really anything to do with Persephoneca it's just whether there is a saturation mm. of the style of podcasts because there's been now the rest is politics with Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell um, there's of course the rest is history which is of course not really mm. political but similar um, there's the one with Steph McGovern and Robert Peston yep, that just launched money. in the yeah. last week so it's becoming quite a crowded market mm. very quickly I think there is an appeal to these style of podcasts having two people with a, maybe an opposing view talking about something that uh it, you know, a big topic in different ways and i think also quite nice that at a time when a lot of social media can just have people who agree with you on there mm-hmm. that you're able to have polite intellectual di- discussion from opposing views to show that actually there might be more similarities than differences between us but it's just down to the fact about whether anyone's really got enough time to listen to all of these podcasts
3: uh i mean adam george oswald ed balls actually are quite funny are they? I think so. I think George Osborne is...
2: Those
0: hilarious austerity policies. Yeah, well, Brought fun to millions. I don't know. I think
3: that there is... That he has, I think that he has something. There is something interesting about the two of them.
0: There is evidently a chemistry between the two of them which has got them onto an awful lot of TV programmes. I don't know. I, the extraordinary thing was the trailer that they videoed for it. Did you see that? Hmm? Where they were they were carrying um, boxes uh, along the street. The, the, the implication being that they'd just been <laughs> sacked from their jobs. which was actually quite a while ago. They seem to have picked up every job going since. I mean, George Osborne has done so many jobs that he's so utterly unqualified for it since including being editor of the Evening Standard very very badly and for goodness sake he's now chairman of the British Museum should he not be concentrating on getting back some of that stuff that's been looted from the stockrooms? maybe that was in the box I well, don't know. <laughs> well
3: George Osborne said on uh, another media programme that uh, all of these jobs uh, Bring input that he can bring to his other jobs, so it's really it's good that he's doing lots of things. It's yeah, so it handy that's for he your says. bank balance as well. That, um, why general, do, you, why do yeah. you think the two of them are, are doing it? Is it just ego? This this like
0: I've got to say, this one looks like an absolutely cynical ripoff. It looks like some people have looked at um, Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell and said, "Hey, that works really well." Who else have we got who could do that mm-hmm. one? And you just get this slight feeling that you know this is the beginning of a, 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 a long slope. If they were still around, I'm sure we'd end up with Mrs. Thatcher and General Galtieri <laughs> presenting <laughs> something called "Agree to Differ." But I, it just, I don't. Know, it doesn't work for me as a former. I, I never wanted to listen to Alice Campbell when he was haranguing journalists down the phone about what they should and shouldn't write mm. at, at Number Ten and threatening people. But I, don't, I don't mass- want to listen to him on a podcast. But either, that has personally. been a massive hit,
3: hasn't it? I mean, it has been, and it it's is making huge, them yeah, yeah. huge there amounts is obviously of cash each. Out there for it.
0: Yes, yeah. But the, I mean, the thing is, it, podcasting, I guess, is a bit like publishing, isn't it? Is no one ever knows what the next big thing is going to be? No mm. one would have predicted that the the Campbell and Stewart podcast was going to be the huge thing, just as no one would have predicted that the Girl on the Train was going to be the huge mm. thing. And then, you know, for two years after that, every book that came out. Had this had very similar cover, and if they could possibly get it in there, the wood <laughs> girl in it—exactly um, the same with Harry Potter and all those kind of big publishing phenomenons that come out of nowhere. So I wonder if this is a, if this is kind of a trend that's going to going to run its course in the end. You know, we 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 had the the kind of quirky friends uh, that, uh, um, uh, discussing things that don't really matter, stuff that, the podcast that came mm. off the back of my dad wrote a porno, yeah. mm. which again was something that came completely out of nowhere and became a huge phenomenon. So it's it's kind of people people chasing that last thing. Scott, are you going to tune in.
2: I mean, that's part of my job I probably won't have to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, audio
3: of a different kind, this time BBC Local Radio. Uh, Quite... um we've talked about it on the podcast before a lot of changes to BBC local radio they're regionalising afternoon programmes putting national shows in at some other times they remain local kind of from 6am to 1 or 2pm but one of uh, the presenters Sophie Little who is leaving the BBC from BBC Radio Norfolk well she had this to tell uh, listeners on Monday
2: But I will say this how I see it I feel the cuts are ableist, ageist and they place economic barriers for some people too and I felt incredibly nervous to say this thinking about the many bosses above my head and how this goes against the grain of all of the training i've ever had in my 15 years that i've been here she's not very happy is she is she right uh, scott i mean i think she highlights the fact that local radio does have a strong um, uh, role to play in communities and it's also incredibly difficult to know when something's being cut off because the people who have been affected might not speak out because there might be elderly they might be by Mm -hmm. themselves they might not have access to the internet to express their frustrations about something that they seem to be uh, see to be essential um, uh, no longer being available as much or as frequently as as it used to I think it's also the fact that um, I mean at the same time though you have to understand the the financial pressures that the BBC is undergoing I mean it's having to have a shortfall in regards to about 285 million because of the license fee freeze until 2024 And they've clearly looked at their entire budget and then they've gone, we can no longer support the amount of services that we currently do, even though we have got um, a, a substantial commercial income coming in too. And the choice that they've made has been merge the BBC World News and and news channels into one single standalone service and to make these cutbacks on local um, uh, radio and to hope that they can make some sort of digital thing out of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, their their view, and I find it hard to disagree with this. So this kind of puts me against most of the people in in local radio. So BBC Local Radio is a great service. It reaches about 15% of of licence fee payers who, who tune in, moving some of the money to digital content that people can access through the website or podcasts or or whatever isn't a dreadful way of trying to broaden how they reach people with local news and information. I mean, the BBC are always going to be uh, pilloried for whatever
0: their decision are, aren't they, Adam? I think they deserve to be in this case. I think this is absolutely disastrous. idiotic Do you, a listen, idiotic to, do you thing listen to like BBC? Local no, radio? I don't, because I'm not the target market. The target market is the people that Sophie Little was talking about there, who are largely over eighty. A lot of them are housebound. A lot of them are disabled, and a lot of them rely on that as, as for you know companionship and um, and all the things that the BBC as a as a national broadcaster should be providing. But they'll to still
3: them. get local content at big parts of the day, like they've always had.
0: They, they will, but they, but it's those those familiar voices are going. And the other the other clip I heard, and and it is being done in such a typically BBC way because the, the 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 cuts were announced months ago, and they they seem to be sort of dribbling out over different radio networks at different times. In the mm. in the traditional BBC way, as um, the Reverend Richard Cole's complained about when he was got rid of from his Radio Four program. None of them have been given a chance to say goodbye properly on air, which is why they're having to grab moments like this yeah. if they're brave like Sophie Little. Um, and and there was a, a, a clip I heard a little while ago from another uh, BBC local radio station where there was a. A pensioner who phoned in—he was actually a hundred years old—and he was kind of regular guest on the programme, was phone in programme, absolutely in tears because he just said, "You know, I'm good. this is this is my lifeline. This is what I look forward to every day." And 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 they'd been they'd done a live broadcast, an outside broadcast from his house for his hundredth mm-hmm. birthday and things. And, and that that whole sense of kind of local community and stuff seems to me the sort of thing that yes, the BBC has got to cut money, but why are they cutting it in the areas which are all the things that only the BBC does and which no one commercial is going to step in and do, like local radio, like classical music, all of those things that actually make the BBC unique. I mean, surely you should be looking, if you're competing with your Netflix's and your Amazon Prime's and all of these kind of big streaming services, you don't want to be doing the same stuff as them you need to be focusing on if you're going to justify the license fee you want to be saying this is what we offer that no one else offers it reminds me a lot of when all of the newspapers went online in the in the 1990s and 2000s and they all instead of going oh we've got our individual brands and the things that we specialize in let's let's kind of really concentrate on that they all decided instead they had to homogenize and produce exactly the same content and be competing for the same breaking stories at exactly the same time no take what you're good at and make that your specialism like disney plus have with you know saying we do marvel we do mm. star we do these kind of things the BBC should be going these are the things that the BBC does this is what makes us a public service broadcaster this is what we've done really really well for generations and that's where we're going to concentrate our money and that's why but, but you that, should pay the license but fee. isn't that
3: part of the problem in that they have done it for generations and the world's changing people are changing how people communicate how they get their, their content how the local content shifts and if they don't make some changes to try identify that switch then they'll be even further left
0: behind. They absolutely can, but I think the changes need to be more gradual in the case of this this this, this, this particular case, Make, making it a cliff edge for elderly and housebound listeners that, that suddenly they just find what they've got used to is not there anymore. And maybe they're not, you know, a lot of these people probably don't even have broadband. They probably can't even access the internet. The idea that they're all suddenly going to go online and become silver servers, servers. Well, it's servers not necessarily
3: for them. They're still going to listen to that, that radio station properly. And there's still a lot of local content on But there. it's not, but the not, the not what things, they wanted but to the listen to. to <laughs> well, a decent chunk of it will be. Of course, it is sad when you lose any of any of the presenters you like which is the thing we often come back to in radio that connection people have Uh, there is some radio investment uh, on the other side Um, this is in commissioning Uh, Scott have you seen uh, what's happening with this this is network BBC network radio Uh, they're widening the number of people that do commissioning of shows.
2: I mean I was sort of hoping that you know a lot about more about this than I do because <laughs> um, you're very much the, the audio um, sort of person but I mean they are spending so on um, on commissioning of Radio 2, 3 and 4 and 5 um, and with the uh, Radio 5 role being part of their BBC's diversity and inclusion uh, strategy and I think it's important to sort of highlight that a lot of these roles are outside London, aren't mm, they? Yes. As well. So I guess it's trying to ensure that it's very much fitting with the BBC mantra these days of having as much as much more out of London than it was before. But is there anything else that sort of stands yeah, so in regards to this announcement? There was a comment from Heidi Dawson, who's the controller of Five
3: Live. Yeah. Um, and that's the, also the head of the BBC in Salford. Uh, and she was saying that for Five Live, assistant commissioner will work on the station slate of BBC Sounds podcasts. And the role will also broaden the pipeline for deaf, disabled and or neurodivergent talent and for them the role will be based in Salford. Um, Similarly Radio 3 um, more diverse content Uh, Radio 2 could be in London or Salford. Um, It's a a good idea isn't it to try and think about differently about the stuff that's coming into the building and, and what people are pitching in
0: i think there's two really really interesting things about this announcement the first one is that it, it that all, all of these commissioning jobs are being attached to different um bbc radio stations but i think all of them certainly some of them they've said that it's going to be working on the slate that those stations are making for bbc sounds yeah so this is more what we were talking about is that gradual move over to realizing that people are listening to radio in a different way a lot of people are listening to radio on demand through bbc sounds and and the whole thing is moving that way but gradually again mm-hmm. not off a cliff edge and the other thing i just want to pick up on is you know again as everything is with the bbc and with most broadcasters now is being presented as this great move out of london well you actually look dig into the small print of this um one of the one one, one of the jobs is in london the other four are all in salford so what you're essentially doing is creating, not, not not spreading things out around different areas of the country, but actually creating something that is literally called Media City. You've just created kind of another enormous media village in a different part of the country. And I can just see it sort of 10, down, 10, 10 years down the line, exactly the same conversations happening as happened before the creation of, um, uh, before the BBC moved up to Salford, of saying, well, you know, everything's a bit too concentrated in London and Salford now. Where else are we going to go?
3: Well, maybe there'll be uh, a move to Birmingham or to Hull or somewhere.
0: Well, Hull, else there's an awful afterwards. lot of spare desks and studios in whole now because they've, they've got on and, and all sorts of other parts of the country because they got rid of all the local radio presenters well
3: someone else who's clearing their desk uh is someone this time from bauer this is richard dawkins the um uh, president of audio at bauer um he's leaving and there was a very strange press release did you see this press release? you sent it uh, to me yesterday?
2: Uh, just before um because it only broke really in the last couple of hours and it's just the wording of um, the the way that they've said that he's leaving. It's quote due to differing ideas around the next phase of transformation of Bauer Media's audio business, and that's why Yvonne Bauer and Richard Dawkins have decided to go their separate ways. It feels very much like a divorce agreement than it does actually saying goodbye. Because normally when somebody leaves, even if they've left and it's all gone to shit, you you normally have a really happy up buzz. Oh, yeah, I'm really happy to leave. Wish them luck in the future. This is exactly what I wanted, guys. I really wanted to leave right now with no warning and no notice. (laughs) But with this, just to actually kind of emphasise it specifically right at the top, it seems weird. It's like they've consciously uncoupled it's almost that isn't and it it's
0: musical that- differences isn't yeah. it it's those classic <laughs> rock breakups and it's going to turn out you know, years down the line Mojo will do some special well, who broke a guitar over whose head uh, well it's their
2: brand so they'll get to do that but so how is how is Bauer doing compared to let's say Capital and all yeah, of the so, rivals I
0: mean
3: if you, if you look at what's happened with them in the past um, in the four years he's been there actually it's been pretty good for Bauer they've been growing their total hours launch of greatest hits radio uh, acquired lots of radio stations along the way um, and at the radio festival this week and a lot of people were Saying not hearing huge amounts from global, they used to be the ones that did all the big stuff and the shiny things. Whereas Bauer's taken a sort of stolen a bit of a march. Yeah. Um, so you could, I mean, who knows what the money looks like? It's a, a privately held business now, um, based in Germany. But uh, he would seem to have done quite a good job. So um, there must have been quite the split. Maybe we'll hear some some gossip later on.
2: But what I find fascinating is how in commercial radio there is a lot of money sort of being thrown thrown around. Like, you know, capital poaching a lot of talent sort of very, very quickly. And of course, Bauer with Ken Bruce Mm. and making uh, greatest hits radio. But I remember like only just over a decade ago, commercial radio was kind of in the doldrums. And I sort of wondered why it flips around 180. Where's this all come
3: from? Well, the big big shift has been reduction in regulation, uh, which means you can run these things like traditional businesses. So... That's very boring things, which you know, has a big effect on staff. So number one, there's far less people working in radio than there was 10 years ago and it comes from far fewer buildings and actually save a huge amount of money uh, shutting down buildings all over the country. So for Global and Bauer, um, they're sort of in much ruder financial health because uh, they'll be able to reduce their cost base significantly so they can invest in, in programming. Um, so yeah, so they've, 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 they're both doing, don't, doing pretty well. Uh, and Bauer's pretty adventurous. They put a lot of radio stations in Ireland. Uh, they've done it in other markets as well um so it would be interesting to see uh, what happens next or what avon bauer uh,
2: son of the founder uh, do he- they have a falling out of uh, i want to have a podcast invest- investigative series to try to uh, work out a more. special
3: six-part <laughs> run we will talk about that uh, during this break after which we will be back
1: jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully
3: Welcome back to the Media Podcast. Uh, Now, uh, tis the season for new podcast launches, and BBC Sounds have just launched a show all about public relations. When it hits the fan, uh, looks back at the week's biggest PR disasters with two seasoned professionals, David Yelland and Simon Lewis. Uh, I caught up with both of them, and in this chat we discussed how their former employers have changed. Uh, David was editor of The Sun, and Simon ran comms at number 10 for Gordon Brown. But I started off by asking Simon how they first met.
1: David and I have known each other for a long time. We met when Dave was newly appointed editor of The Sun. I was newly appointed communications secretary at Buckingham Palace. So we both lived through, David puts it, he said, two careers or two halves. I've been in communications the whole time. It just, it's clear that people, first of all, are very interested in crises, just by definitions. But secondly, they just like to know what's going on under the bonnet. And so we we started talking about it. You know, we'd kept in touch over the years. And it crystallised around this idea. And I guess the big insight, David, was rather than making a retrospective, which we could have done, we thought let's make it a current affairs type programme. So that's the kind of big shift in thinking as we talked it through.
3: I mean, the danger, David, is that the, the Westminster bubble is an echo chamber. Uh, and it's, it's everyone, politicos, uh, media types, lobby journalists, all kind of playing the same game and having fun doing it rather than thinking about the public. Um, is that the case or is that me being
4: mean? Well, I just wrote down Echo Chamber. Well, so you took the words out, literally took the words out of my mouth. That Echo Chamber has never been more powerful, particularly on the right. So the Echo Chamber between the Conservative Party at the moment and you know Fleet Street, what we used to call Fleet Street, uh, and that would include GB News and Talk TV now, particularly GB News, is dictating the agenda on the right of the aisle. Uh, and they listen to each other they employ each other i mean we you know we see uh, a, a whole series of ministers coming out of the government straight in straight into the studio uh, as pre- as presenters without naming mean, we know who these people are Reese smogging and well, you know you know they are. what's happened during my since i left newspapers is that the media the media class has overtaken the political class and become the same thing so we literally had a journalist in number 10 which, you know, didn't work very well. And the reason the media class overtook the political class is they're better. They're smarter, they've got better people. And that's very sad for our democracy. And at some point, that has to change. Um, so that's the sort of macro issue. On the left, if you, if, you, if you class the Labour Party as the left, the jury's out, really. We, they haven't been in power for so long. There are disturbing signs, actually, that uh, Keir Starmer's team, some of the younger members of it anyway, are spending a lot of time trying to make friends with, you know, my old paper, the Sun, and the Daily Mail, and they're looking for, they're looking for the nod. My view, very firmly, is that they do not need that nod, and that to seek it is dangerous, and to get it is dangerous.
3: You're someone that uh, became editor of the Sun just after Tony Blair came in partly to perhaps reflect the changing nature of politics at that point. Isn't Keir Starmer just doing what what Tony Blair did uh, when he flew out to a a News Corp conference before before his election?
4: Yeah, but The Sun sold nearly 4 million copies then, and it was incredibly powerful and influential, and there was no social media. It's a very, very different world. The Sun is not important politically now, uh, and that is just the truth. It's a it's a loss-making newspaper which has been written down with zero value on the balance sheet of of News Limited, and the Mail is still very important. The Sun can still cause you problems. It's best best not to 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 kick it to kick it around. But it, but you know you don't need to go and have dinner there. You know that that's the difference.
3: If if, um, if that if that's if that's your take, do you think the Sun as a as a print publication? Has um, has its own deadline when when it'll expire. Obviously, the the online version does well, but it's a different kind of business.
4: Well, there are a whole, a whole host of issues there, but are, are, are digitally, the Sun is successful. It's but it's not. It's it, it's an entertainment product which is doing very well, but it's, it doesn't have political clout in the digital world. There's no one. There's no Gen, Gen Z person. That looks that looks to the Sun online, or the, daily ma- or the daily Mail online to influence it influence them politically. The older generation who were looking at the op eds are influenced. So oddly, as these papers succeed in the digital world, they lose their political influence. It's a very odd, a very odd thing. I remember seeing Maria Cuomo, Maria Cuomo actually was governor of the state of New York came to lunch when I was on the New York Post, uh, and uh, he said that he knew when he'd lost the gubernatorial race in New York, when Rupert backed, I think it was Pataki, the other side, he he said, even though the Post in New York only sold, I think it's half a million copies and was loss-making and wasn't anywhere near as big as as the New York Times, Rupert's call, Cuomo knew he was dead. Because everybody else would think he was dead, and therefore he was dead. There is still that. There is that is still true of of of, of Rupert Murdoch. He doesn't get it wrong, but it doesn't influence a vote. It's not, it's, I don't think it's a single person in the country that's going to change their vote based on newspaper backing. It's it's not about that. It's about the day to day stuff. And the fact is, if Labour get elected, from day one they will be clattered in these papers day in, day out, and that will affect them because the BBC will pick up those clattering stories because some of them will be true. Um, and that's the problem. It's the noise, well, the weather.
1: Just to build on that very quickly, I mean, what struck me, I was obviously in number 10 just effectively the last year over Gordon Brown or the, the Labour government of that era. And the the problem is if you get a sheer weight of negative, completely kind of overriding negative press, it's very, very what's the word, Innovating, and it's it's almost the climate it creates. It's not even the fact it's taking place. It's the fact that every day you wake up and you're seeing stuff that you know either isn't right or has just been written from a particular perspective. So I think it gets into the marrow of the bone of people who are on the receiving end of it. And that's, I think, as David said, why actually the traditional press is still quite important, because that climate they can create is very, very difficult to deal with. Well,
3: well, Simon. I mean, looking at the news today, um, uh, Sir Paul Marshall, who was one of the guys that's really funding GB News, um, looks like he's going to put in a a bid uh, for your brother's old paper, the Daily Telegraph. Uh, I mean, building on that, is the idea of um, creating a bit of a uh, a, a sort of a multimedia right-wing empire. Uh, I mean, that's got to be inspired by what's happening in America and, and, and Rupert's success around around Fox News. Do you think he would be a, a likely owner of, of, of The Telegraph?
1: Well, obviously, there's a process being run, which is interesting in itself. I mean, it's been run by a, a, an investment bank, Goldman Sachs. So what's what's very interesting about that is having been on the other side. You know, If you run a process, you have to have a timeline. You have to have a decision-making process. So I think this race is far... From run i think it's kind of connected to what we've just been talking about if you have got a lot of money and you want to exert influence you're probably feeling that you're more likely to get a bigger bang for your buck going into a media group which has a significant social media kind of presence than buying or picking up a newspaper i know that obviously telegraph still has a traditional paper but i think most people would say they've done pretty well in online terms there are a couple of wonderful prizes in there including the spectator which might be attractive as someone who wants to sort of be involved in the intellectual sort of side of right-wing politics but i i think the telegraph race is a classic example where the bankers will ultimately have to work out two things first of all who's got the money and secondly which of the bidders and maybe all of them are kind of fit and proper people which is the decision of the bankers but it's an important point fit and proper person to run a media group and that's always on the minds of the politicians of course
4: Sam is absolutely right. This is, a, this, is a, this is a horse race, and one of the horses has gone public and said he's in the race. That's all that's happened. It doesn't necessarily mean. But I think there's a real risk that the Telegraph and GB News together could become a, a, a sideshow and a money-losing sideshow as well in the, in the great political game. Uh, I'm not absolutely certain that that market exists. And Fox News became the most profitable television, news television entity in the world but that's because there was no, that's the US it's the US and there was no right wing station in the whole of mm. the US and it took that it took that market but if you look at the numbers of fox news sometimes on a day to day basis they're not that high even in the US right i don't think that market exists i think i think you know paul marshall might convince himself that market exists in in the in the UK but he, i'm not sure it does and we'll find out i mean you know i may be wrong but i'm not what, sure it does if you think about
3: um that we've talked about um, big figures, talked about companies, talked about media. Um, who would be a good client to work for today? Uh, who could benefit from from great PR skills, uh, Simon?
1: Well, having just set up an advisor business, I hope the answer to that is plenty of people because that's the other thing that I do in my non-podcast. I mean, there's a family joke that, you know, I've worked for the Queen and I've worked for the Prime Minister that just leaves the Pope, which is a family joke. Um, I, I must say, I, I've always been fascinated by the world of sport. I love, I love sport. I love the politics of sport. I love the dynamics of sport. And I suppose if I ever had the opportunity to help in the kind of communications around one of the great football clubs I happen to support Arsenal, something like that it just, I think that's a, it's a fascinating world but on the other hand, I guess be careful what you wish for because if you get involved in something you're too passionate about it probably isn't a great combination but I think the world of sport, which we're going to, I'm sure, come back to we did a piece today about the booing of Macron well, in, the, in the podcast about the booing of Macron, the rugby It's very it's a very combustible world, the world of sport and when sport and politics collide, it can be very tricky
4: uh, David, who would you like to work with? Greta Thunberg is the person I've mentioned. I think that if I look at my children, uh, particularly my younger daughter, uh, my younger child, who is my daughter, uh, I think you know, climate change, it's very important that Greta Thunberg uh, and that generation frame their argument correctly in the next 10 years in particular, because it, they are close to losing the argument. And that's uh, very sad. So I think uh, I think that's the, it is the biggest issue of our time, and it's very important that the, that the next generation get their argument right. But at the moment, you know, they're sitting in front of ambulances on the M1 and losing lots of lots of friends, and, and I think that's a disaster. So I think that that's probably the answer to that question.
3: Uh, well, thank you both. It hits the fan is verbal on BBC Sounds each week. Uh, thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
3: That was David Yelland and Simon Lewis when It Hits the Fan drops weekly on BBC Sounds Uh, and you can hear more from that interview in which the hosts discuss the PR nightmare that is Elon Musk uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber. That's a full 15 minutes more uh, to watch and listen to uh, as well as the exclusive interviews with the folks behind Goalhanger and Love Productions. Uh, Loads of stuff uh, on our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com mediapod patreon.com slash mediapod and if you hear me mention this uh, uh, in the show each week uh, and you think I must get around to doing it why not do it now at the beginning of a season then you get all of this value uh, for the next few months that's patreon.com slash media pod uh, right uh, Adam and Scott are back with me uh, interesting to hear about David Yelland what he had to say there slightly down on the sun obviously he has his own relationship with it uh, was he right do, do politicos think that the press has more power than it actually does
0: I think uh, the press has always liked to claim, particularly The Sun, the, the, that it had more power than yeah. it ever did. I mean, The Sun won, won mm. it in 1992. Um, um, Rupert Murdoch has always been very, very astute at backing people who he knew was going knew were going to win already. Um, so it would surprise me enormously if he backs Rishi Sunak at the next election. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get the sort of wholehearted endorsement that... Um, uh, that Tony Blair got in 1997 at an incredibly late stage. I mean, it mm. something like March 1997. You know, it was very, very clear what direction uh, things were moving in. Um, but, but, uh, but, but, I mean, David Yelland is right. I, don't, I, do, I don't think it would make an enormous difference now uh, 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 to anyone. I mean. Digitally, it's really interesting. I was thinking about thinking about the Mail website. The politics on that is buried very, very deep within it. You know, behind mm. a, a wall of Kardashians, mm. um, you have to dig very, very hard to find that at all. The paper is still rabidly, rabidly, political, but they are going for that different audience. It's that it's that older audience who who I think they can have an effect on, and they they're kind of. I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch them do a reverse ferry because there is no way that the Mail is going to back anyone other than the Tories in the upcoming election. But they're very, very down on Rishi Sunak's government at the moment. They're kind of the last last, uh, last people holding a candle for the prince over the water in the form of their columnist, Boris Johnson. So uh, it's going to be a, a, an, an awkward negotiation for them to kind of go, well, I know we've been saying the Tories are rubbish but um, but and, and, and the other guy's better that they kicked out, but you should still vote for them anyway. And yeah. hold,
3: hold your nose and vote.
0: Yeah, I guess that would be it, wouldn't it?
3: Uh, it's interesting thinking about the the online side of things uh, because Daily Mail has made a very profitable move online Mm. um, and the sun was late to the game pretty much but uh, the Sun
0: I think is doing quite well online yeah. isn't it and it's expanded out as they all are all, all of the tabloids are now into America as mm. well and I think it's doing quite well over there well, of course they've got resources over there because Murdoch also mm. owns the New York Post which is kind of a, same, a lot, similar it's, kind of audience and all there's these some spaces, going on all
3: these places a lot of UK journalists that have been sort of bussed over um, to the that's states that's been to, the tradition to, to, for a long time though it. hasn't yeah. it I mean a
0: lot of the kind of national enquirers had British editors and they're, 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 there's always been a kind of a cross-transatlantic a trade between um, uh, b- 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 between those outlets. Um, yeah, no. Well, I mean, I think part of that is because American newspapers are largely so boring. <laughs> um, and they actually need a few I mean, a few tabloid funsters to, 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 to brighten things up. I mean, to be honest, I think we could do with a few tabloid funsters back at the sun, which I think has turned into one of the dullest newspapers in the business. The Daily Star has roared in and taken all of the fun front pages and is doing that kind of it. And, I, I, you know, I flick through the sun every day. But I just think what this paper once was many, many years ago, it, it, whether you liked it or not, it very much isn't now. I don't even find it very, very entertaining.
3: Right, well, that's because they're too busy hiring SEO editors to work on to work on the website um scott if you saw um mail plus and news uk were at a press gazette event this week uh, sharing their recent learnings um did we glean anything from them
2: i mean the mail sort of said that it's doing quite well with mail plus because it's, Cause it's like a subscription option it's a subscription option you get essentially a digital replica of what the paper looks like okay. and is it a PDF? Yes, and and but but they say that they've got one hundred sixty thousand subscriptions and ninety thousand of them are dig- digital. But if you subscribe to the mail print edition, you also get the PDF thrown right. in, as if you want to be like, here is here it is again, <laughs> but the PDF. So I mean, I but this is the thing. I mean, I I am a I am a newspaper reader. Um, and I I tend to have a print version each day, which I think people, my mates around my age, think that's quite weird because mm. not many people do. But I quite like having a paper edition in, in my hand. But then I don't really like mobile versions on my mobile because I don't really absorb the news in the same way. I quite like the fact that a new newspaper has a beginning and an end. So I quite, I, I can see the appeal of digital replicas because it feels as if you're having a ha- halfway house between having a paper that you might not always be able to get or or can be really having the faff to, Mm. but also not having the entire internet to be dealing with and an endless array of news, you're you're still getting a bit of curation. So I can see why these digital products tend to do quite well. Well, Adam,
3: if you're looking at a Reach um, website, you have to close down seven pop-ups. Oh, God, they're all a nightmare. No, I mean,
0: they're (laughs) they're just appalling. No, I'm I'm going to come out here. Well,
3: I would say that you're from a publication that hasn't necessarily done lots of things on digital.
0: Barely anything at all, <laughs> apart from any. our own podcast, Page 94, which I'm going to plug yet again, now you've given me the chance to. Um, no, I mean, I, I, actually, I'd just like to come out here as a Mail Plus subscriber, although I did not realise that I was. I have to say, I wonder how many <laughs> other people are in the position I'm. Because I, I like Scott, I like, I, I, I like to read papers, um, and, and I, for my job, I have to read most of the papers every day. But for the sake of my recycling bin, I subscribed several years ago to digital versions of most of them, hmm. uh, which I read on my iPad in the morning. Uh, and I realised at some point in the last couple of years that it, what I thought was the digital version of the mail have been turned into something called mail plus right which apparently comes with all these other bells and whistles and podcast facilities and i can look at pictures of uh joanne hegarty uh, <laughs> modeling the latest fashions Important. And, and and hear sarah vine should i should i should i should i ever want to do that um, but I, I had no idea about that i still have no idea how to access them so i do wonder how many people are in the same position as me that they thought they were just subscribing to a kind of a, a, a slightly more um more high tech version of the paper. And, it seems and actually, to be a very
2: yeah. modern thing, isn't it? Just have any brand and just say, add the word plus onto the end of it. Just oh, yeah. add plus. It, it's like about 20 years ago, you.
0: you put E on the front of everything to look kind of incredibly <laughs> yeah. modern, isn't it? Yeah. But I have to say, where I think the mail have been clever is what you get with Mail Plus, apparently, is a lot of puzzles. And I think that's one of the selling things. I think it's one of the really salutary facts for all journalists that we should constantly remind ourselves of that people don't buy newspapers for us at all. They may occasionally look at a, a, at a splash story on the front page and buy it for that, or they may have a columnist they like, but mostly they're getting it for the crossword. Well, New that's what they New,
3: New York Times subscriptions are particularly driven by a, a lot of their quiz-related action. But
0: Mail Plus, you get page after page of puzzle and puzzle after puzzle. And, and, and I think that's that, that's really, really clever. I mean, the Mail have always been very, very good at knowing their readers and knowing what their readers want and giving it to them. And uh, and that, that, I think, will be behind the success of that as much as it is behind the print newspaper.
3: The answer is puzzles. Another thing to add to the media podcast. Uh, right, just time for the media quiz, which this week is Stick entitled... Quiz classified so very newspapery. Uh, in lieu of actual ads here on the podcast they're brands do get in touch there's always a link in the show notes uh, we have prepared some cryptic classifieds based on some more media stories of the week you just have to guess the story from the ad uh, button in with your name if you know the answer so scott you will say scott and adam you will say uh, adam uh, here right. we go right question one wanted new home for elderly pet oscar can be needy and often up late at night Scott
2: Scott. Uh, it is ITV and ITVX becoming the new home of the Oscars it is uh, and they are um, it's been with the BBC it's been Sky for a long time Sky for it? quite a few years mm. now I mean this is the the, the thing is, is, that Sky had the rights I didn't think many people knew that they had the rights I mean <laughs> oh, yeah. they had no idea I mean then again it is shown at 1am yes. till whew, whenever um, so of course it has been there for a few years I think this last year they put it on um, or this year earlier this year they put Put it on Sky Arts and mm. Sky News rather than just on um, Sky Cinema, so, so you could watch it on Freeview as so well. So you can watch yeah. it on Free to Air. So there's not going to be that much difference, I guess. I guess um, in terms of people be, being able to watch the awards, apart from then it being on a different channel. I guess maybe it might be more of the case that ITV will make a bit more of a song and dance about it. Mm. I, I don't think Sky's really done anything. Mm. To Do say, you think Look, they'll re-show
0: it in prime time? Because that's the thing with a lot of the oh. Sky Atlantic stuff. You know, the HBO stuff. They showed a new episodes mm. of Succession went out three. In the morning, kind of simultaneously with America, but then they were shown the next night at nine
2: PM. Have so you just seen? Have you seen have you just seen all the clips by then? I, Probably, I, I just done, think, though. yeah, I just think I, people are over it by then because because people it It's very up. boring. I mean, once you've seen Except Will Smith slapping yeah, someone, then to. you
0: don't want to sit through the the, the kind of best makeup and best oh, videography. Hundred percent,
2: like a real. Um, but mm. then it's also the case that you turn up, and it's one of my favorite joys is just seeing. Um, uh, like a BBC entertainment reporter or Good Morning Britain entertainment reporter just yelling at a random staff really far away the morning (laughs) after the Oscars live because it's you know live because they're at the uh, Vanity Fair party Mm. trying to get an exclusive interview and hopelessly failing for me that is my Oscars coverage that is for me the best (laughs) bit about it
3: Uh, right uh, well done Uh, question number two wanted London's answer to the Met Gala organiser must have multiple faces (laughs) <laughs> is it too cryptic?
0: Oh, well, Adam, is Adam. this is this to do with who's hosting? The Met goals of Vogue, right? Yes. So is this to do with who's hosting it? Because Edward Anifall has just been um I don't want to say booted out, moved to a different job within British Vogue. The outgoing British Vogue boss.
3: Yes, you are just about right. I'll give you you a point for that. Uh, This is Vogue World, uh, described as a multi-act celebration of British performing arts, which has been curated by, uh, reportedly, Vogue's editor-in-chief, Anna Wintour, uh, and uh, the outgoing uh, London boss, Edward Enerfall. Rumours persist that this is uh, Wintour sort of reaffirming
0: her sort of control of the brand. I just gotta say that's a terrible title, Vogue World, because I immediately just <laughs> thought of M M&M and M World in Leicester Square. It just sounds really, really nasty The smell it? for the M M&M World I as, mean, well it, as well as
2: foul. It's
3: nice to see like an old fashioned power play uh, in this in this fashion world, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about the fashion world generally, <laughs> as you can clearly tell. So, <laughs>
3: uh, okay, on that moving uh, moving on to number three. Seeing both the facts and the fury, this reporter will identify why the pop star's influence only expands. What her fan base stand for in pop culture? Oh,
0: Adam, sorry, I couldn't remember my name. then <laughs> <isn't that> really <laughs> I forgot what I had to it's say. It's the pressure <laughs> of the media quiz. This is the Taylor Swift reporter, isn't it?
3: Yes, it's a real, real job ad uh, for a Taylor Swift reporter being sought uh, for USA Today uh, and the
2: Tennessean.
0: Specifically, just to report on Taylor Swift.
2: Just, I mean don't get me wrong it could be lucrative when I was at BuzzFeed <laughs> there was a person whose literal sole job was to write about the Kardashians every single day and it would bring in but there's loads there. of them there's only one Taylor <laughs> Swift <laughs> I mean, when you're literally just... Your job is to report on one person. I mean, that's sort of verging into the
0: stalker territory, isn't it?
3: Do you end up being a bit like that, the royal reporter that like Nicholas Whitchell sort of hated by the the person slash people you're trying to cover?
0: I'd imagine she's going to get a restraining
3: order, isn't <laughs> she? <laughs> Back to SEO. I mean, that's about you know, content that works, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but also just the fact that fandoms seem to go for hourly updates. Mm. I mean, you only have to go onto the search bar on Instagram to go and see where some stars are by the hour. So I think that clearly they're just going right how can we hone in on and i mean i i i can see about why it's raised some eyebrows it's probably given bizarrely quite a lot of publicity to the magazine to the title themselves really
3: yes. uh, either of you going to throw your hat in the ring to be the television. i'm not reporter. really
2: a swifty my, my <laughs> are, there any pops, is, are there my any pop stars is. are
3: there any pop stars that you would like to be a full-time reporter about
2: Harry Styles, but uh, so that's <laughs> a general crush.
0: <laughs> that's not
2: reporting, Scott. That's not. I've a crush on him. Adam, end.
3: is there anybody in the world that you you, you could sort of completely uh,
2: focus your, your time on? Uh,
0: no, but the Cheeky Girls live just down the road from me, so I can <laughs> always report on them. The I, don't think, I don't think I sell many stories, to be the honest. The Cheeky
2: Girls performed earlier this week, I saw, at the University of Salford's Freshers Week. Okay. So some people responded like the people at the university wasn't even alive when they were big the and one. One. <laughs> who are these people know,
3: why they get booked uh, well congratulations Adam um, uh, first time luck obviously you win uh, the media quiz uh, and you get hey. to you get to be our full time Taylor Swift reporter that's fantastic. your prize fantastic i am
0: listening to some Taylor Swift songs haven't I uh, my
3: thanks to Scott Bryan and Adam McQueen uh, where can people catch up with uh,
2: your good work Scott um, just on what I guess is now X yes yeah at ScottyGB sad face, sad face. Uh, Adam
0: uh, I'm kind of off X these days. You can still find an account there where I occasionally plug things. Uh, uh, Adam McQueen, but I'm now on Instagram. Uh, uh, on I think I have to be McQueen Adam on Instagram, but really I'm only on there to look at Scott Bryant's thirst traps. So uh, there we go. Is
2: there an Adam McQueen? So you've had this flip the other way. There's an American footballer.
0: Oh
3: yeah, he loves with you every day.
0: Mm. Uh, well,
3: <laughs> all of you can look at each other's uh, uh, Instagram accounts, uh, and you, you, you at home can as well. Uh, thank you both for joining us. And that's it from us today at the London Podcast Studios. If you want to bump into us in the corridor on the way to your own recording, uh, you can. Uh, Plus, uh, as your friends of the show, uh, you get 25% off your first booking. Uh, Just use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's thelondonpodcaststudios.com. Use the code MEDIAPOD and get 25% off. Uh, My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week.